Have you ever wondered, uh, really wondered why in the world anybody ever goes to church? Think about it. You could be relaxing right now. You could be at State Fair right now. You could be uh, mowing that lawn that needs to get mowed, getting those groceries that need to be gotten. Um, you could do something else. Watch that television or get caught up on your Netflix binging. Something else other than going to church. You know, why did we wake up this morning to go to something we call church? Have you ever thought about that? Even in the, in the Old Testament, uh, there was names for that. Now, uh, granted, there's Old New Testament terminology, but the Old Testament isn't to be thrown away. It's a type and a shadow of things that were to come, that when Jesus came, he fulfilled the prophetic words that were in those, those scriptures. We can see the church in those scriptures. We can see Jesus in those scriptures, and we have yet things to be fulfilled as well. So, so we don't throw it away. And a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, the church, we're talking about today, the church was called different things that maybe some of you are familiar with and maybe some of you are not. One of those things was, is this. Uh, we're called, in the Old Testament, we're called the people of God. You've probably heard that before. The people of God. Also in the Old Testament, uh, we were called God's chosen people. And also we were called the righteous. So you read about the people of God, God's chosen people, or the righteous. That's just to name a few. They would be referring to the church. In the New Testament, the church is referred to as the body of Christ. You've heard that many times. It's referred to as the house of God. Also it's referred to as the saints. But primarily, we are called the church. And there's a Greek understanding of that, and there's a prophetic meaning for that as well. But let's look at what Matthew says in his gospel, chapter 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Okay, a pointed question. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. In those days, they actually believed in that sort of reincarnated state that, you know, you could come back as maybe a great prophet or another great leader, okay? So they said, hey, that's what they're calling you, okay? Elijah, John the Baptist, or Jeremiah. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It's very clear what he is, he's bringing a distinction between knowledge that you get on earth and knowledge that past earth's understanding that you get from heaven or from the throne of God or from the Father himself. And he called that, he said, flesh and blood, this earth, uh, knowledge did not reveal the fact that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God, but my Father who is in heaven revealed it to you. It's Everybody say revelation. Revelation is important to, the, to, the, to the, the modern Christian in the New Testament because when we read the word of God, it should be illuminated to us. In other words, revelation is what? Simply put, it's light and darkness. You can see something in the scripture or in the word of God that you could not see before, and it's like a light bulb. How many have ever seen uh, the cartoon um, where Wiley E. Coyote is chasing, um, what is he chasing? Uh, I want to say Speedy Gonzalez. I don't know what the deal is with that. Roadrunner. I knew he was fast. And he can't catch this guy. But every now and again, he has a what? A bright idea. And what do we see over his head? 
a light bulb goes off, right? That's kind of like revelation to you and I. We can read John 3.16, said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then all of a sudden we read it one time and we go, For God so loved the world, he loved the world that he gave. Oh, oh, I understand. And now all of a sudden something else happens to you and light is turned on where it once was just mediocre or there was darkness at best, right? So now he said, God revealed this to you. He said, and I say to you, you are Peter. Well, his name is Simon Peter, but his first name is Simon. But he's known as Peter now. Peter is the word Petra. It's where we get the word a piece of the rock, something strong like a rock. And he said, on on this rock, Jesus said, I will build my church on the rock. Not Peter being the rock. The rock is the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Someone say amen. And he said, and on that revelation, I'll build my church. And because I build my church on that revelation and the fact that I build my church, the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven like we're going to do tonight at 555. We're going to bind it. We're going to loose heaven. And God's going to come through for us. I said, God's going to come through for us. We're going we're gonna to break the devil of violence in America and strife and division and racism and everything else. There are several points of revelation here in Matthew chapter 16 that I want to pull from this morning. Number one, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So he's curious as to know who are other people in your proximity, in your world, your sphere of influence. What do they say about me? Church, do you know what the people in your life at work, your neighbors, your family actually think about Jesus? What do they say about him? Because I found something out that most people don't know who he is. And the only who he is is the one they see in you. Because you don't understand, they're watching your life. They know you're a Christian. They see your posts. They should be seeing some good posts on Facebook. I said they should be seeing some Christian posts on Facebook sometime. From Christians. Hallelujah. But here's what happened. They did what, you don't understand it, but they, but you, don't know, you got nosy neighbors, y'all. You don't know they're nosy, but they're sneaky. They're sneaky. And they peek through the blinds when you get up on Sunday morning to come to church. My God, every Sunday morning, there they go. There goes the mama, and there goes the little ducks. Come on, somebody, getting into the car. They, they notice when you're going to church. They know who you are, but that they know who he is in your life. So the only who he is is the one you reveal to him, to them. Somebody say Amen. All right, so the question is, do we really live for Jesus in a way that others know that we serve him? Do they find him in us? Do we live in such a fashion that though we're not perfect and though we make our mistakes and sometimes we yell like crazy at our kids when the windows are open and everybody in the house hears and everybody outside the house does too, and it happens, we're not perfect, but the truth of the matter is they can see Jesus because they know that you're caring. They know that you're loving. They know that you're kind. They can see him in your eyes. Amen. They have, you have a testimony that you live up to. Now, at Faith Builders, we have a three-part mission that God has given our church, this church. And the first part is to reach the unreached. To build the church is the second part. And, and the third part is to serve the city. But the first part is reach the unreached. And we have for 20 years endeavored to do just that. Not always easy. 
It can be expensive. It can be hard to do. We can even be misunderstood when we do it. Other people don't like when we reach in areas that they don't think we should reach into. Sometimes they don't like the methods of how we go about reaching people. But we do what God calls us to do through Isaiah 64. It tells us to do this. We reach the unreached. Many times through our productions. We have great productions. We have big productions. We got small productions. Um, we had one just this last weekend, and we, it was a, I would call it a small production. It's, I call it an illustrated sermon, but if you saw it, you know it was kind of like a small production. And how many enjoyed seeing Ever After, right? Y'all enjoy that? And I know you did because I saw all the pictures, and I saw people talking about it. And do you know we, had, we came up here. Now, we didn't have to do any of that. It took work to do that. took time out of all of our schedules to do that. Um, it, it took money to do that. But we did that because we love people. And we want to reach the people that have not been reached, which are your family members and your friends. Amen. We got them here. You did your job. You got them here. And guess what? Over 40 people raised their hands to give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ last weekend. The national average for a church to win two people takes two years. You see what I'm trying to say? 40 people. And that's just to name one of the productions. We've had production. We win hundreds at one time in one service. We have thousands by the end of the year. So my point to you is this. That's not to brag on us, but to brag on Jesus. But, but we have to be about his business to reach the unreached. And so we do other things. Like we have an after dark program. James is the head of that as well, our elder. And he takes these people and they go out under the bridges. And we give them food and shelter and help them out with clothes. Do what we can to be a blessing to them. You don't know about this. Happen on Friday nights while you're having pizza. Come on at home. They're under bridges feeding people and helping people and loving them. Okay, teach your own ministry, but we're doing it. Uh, we had something called Christmas in Milwaukee where hundreds of children receive gifts and toys and love. And Sometimes we give them Christmas trees and we pray for them. And we bless them at Christmas time. But everybody knows this weekend is one of the biggest things we'll do all year. I said this weekend, serve your city. And this is where we come together as a church. And we say we're going to give two hours, maybe three hours, and we're going to go bless the community, and we're going to grab a rake, and we're going to go do some picking up garbage and stuff. But that don't take long because before too long we're at the park where we have a big old block party, and we got stuff for kids and bounce houses and painting the kids, and, and we got we got we got we got we got we got entertainment for them. We've got free food. Come on, we got clothes. We're going to pass out, and guess what? We got 500 backpacks full of school supplies. We're giving away. Come on. Amen. But if the church don't come together, we can't get this job done. The church was meant to be an example to the world of who he is. And he, Jesus said they'll know you by the love that you have one for another. Your connectivity, that you're for each other. You're not against each other. You're not divided apart from each other. You know, our city is very divided. But this church is not divided. We look around and we see a multiplicity of ethnicities in this church. I always say this, we are not multicultural. No, we're not. We're multi-ethnic. And the reason why I say it that way is because there's not multicultures in this room. There's only one culture. That's the culture of the kingdom of God. But we happen to be black and brown and white and, and, and pink. Come on, somebody. Come on, peach. Come on, somebody. And we're all different colors. I said we're all different colors. But I noticed something. We all hug each other. We love each other. We're for each other because we are the church. We are many-member body coming together as one. 
And God has given us many ways to do this, to reach the unreached. We can go after them through these productions and through Serve Your City this weekend and through our, through our Christmas in Milwaukee and all that, but also inviting them to the house of God one-on-one, just being bold enough to invite them to come. We can have them in our homes and cook a meal and have them over and talk to them about the Lord and give our testimony or, or just share with them about our church. Uh, social media is a big one. Use it for the glory of God. Yeah, put funny stuff up there. It's fun. And put your personal stuff. That's great. But men, also understand there are people, you've got a captive audience. They may never like it. They may never respond to it. But they're reading what you're saying. And, you know, you can put something about the Lord. You can put something about your church. Hey, come to Ever After. Hey, help us to serve your city. Hey, we got a production called Over the Rainbow. And, 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 and here are the, here's the, the instructions on how to do, get there. All of that stuff. My point is that this, by the way, i got to say this too, social media. Everybody say social media. So the algorithms have changed. And I noticed I wasn't getting many likes. And I thought, what, what's going on? People don't, they don't, what's going on here? What's happening? And so I started asking questions. And I found out that, that the algorithm has changed. And so now, uh, for if you want my, my tweets to come up on all the people I have, I've got almost 4,000 people. And I don't ask anybody to be my friend. I don't do that. Everybody's asked me to be their friend. I don't go out soliciting. But I'm just telling you, i got about that many people. So we know that's a captive audience, right? My point to you is this, is that they tell me that you've got to have 10 people that within a certain amount of time, huh? Within 10 minutes, they have to write at least four words. Pastor, you are the bomb. Something like that. Good looking pick today, Pastor. You are awesome. Affirmation. I need lots of it, right? Ten people write four words. What happens then, it changes the algorithm and it goes to everybody. Right now, there's a small percentage that can see it because not everybody's liking it and putting down the words. So remember that. Go to our pages and help us out with that so we can spread the gospel. Get people encouraged. Amen, somebody. The church was created to engage society in the street and house to house with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's the one who said, go you into all the world and preach this gospel to every living creature. Before he left planet earth, he said, These are your, this is your responsibility. Go, all of you, into the world and preach the gospel. And then he said, go into Jerusalem and wait and tarry until the Holy Ghost comes. And we know the Holy Ghost came to that first church group, 120 people in an upper room. I don't know if it was hot or not, but I'm sure it was pretty warm because it's around springtime of the year in Jerusalem. And now then they're up there and they're praying day and night. And the Holy Ghost fell upon them and they all spoke in tongues. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, when it hit them, hit the rest of people in the streets. And they were from all different walks of life. And the Holy Spirit touched them in such a way that when Peter got up to speak under the unction of the Holy Ghost and spoke about who Jesus was, there was a new authority and a new anointing. And the Bible says that those people begin to scream, what must we do to be saved? And this Peter stood up and said, believe, be baptized, and receive ye the gift of the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. 3,000 souls were added to the church. They weren't just wandering off into the wilderness or going about their merry way to the marketplace or going back home saying, wasn't that a great meeting today? No. They were added to the church. God said, when you get saved, you're not there by yourself. You come together to the church. This church, the church is the consciousness of God in the world. 
It's the consciousness of God. The church is. The consciousness of God in society. If the church becomes more irrelevant, the world becomes more irreverent. The more irrelevant the church becomes, the more irreverent the world becomes. And don't you see it acting up on our streets, El Paso? Don't you see it acting up in different places where all of a sudden there's an unruliness that's going on, not just in America, but around the world. I say, where's the church? The church is the glue. The church is society's conscience. That's God's conscience on the world today. We need the church. Amen. Look, that's, what, that's exactly what William Booth was. William Booth is the founder of the Salvation Army. Everybody heard of the Salvation Army before? Y'all shop at their stores? Come on. I didn't know when I was dating my wife. She's from the Salvation Army. She said, you want to go? I thought, my God, I didn't ask her. I said, we're going to go to the store? I thought that the church was the store. Like, I couldn't comprehend the fact that the church, there was actually churches called the Salvation Army. In my mind, it was called the as-is store. Y'all remember that? And you go in there and, you, you know, you can buy just like Goodwill, right? So I thought, why would we go? They go are they going to push the clothes out of the way? How are they going to do this? So we went to a nice building, a really, matter of fact, it's a brand new building. Uh, and, and, and that Ashley Pastor Robin was on the board of the church during that, uh, I think right before I met you. And uh, as a teenager, they wanted a teenager on there. And so, and so her name is actually in, embossed on the wall to this day, praise God. And so I didn't know. But did you know that William Booth is the founder of it? And William Booth in the 1800s uh, was um, a Christian, and, and he wanted to see God do a, a you know, revival in Europe. And so he noticed, and he got him so upset, typical pastor, because he got really upset. And he goes, how come all these taverns and all these pubs are full on Saturday night. I mean, you can't get another person in there, and they all act in the fool. He said, on Sunday morning, you can't fill the pews up on Sunday. What is going on? Not too much different than today's society. And he goes, we're going to change that. He said, here's what we're going to do. He said, we've got better musicians than they got in, them bar, in those bars and in those pubs. So what we're going to do is we're going to learn their songs. And he sent out musicians to learn all the worldly songs. Now, they thought he was crazy. They said he was a heretic. I mean, they called him everything but, you know, the devil himself for what he was doing. He said, you don't get it. I got a plan. I got a strategy. I'm going to reach the unreached. I'm going to tell who Jesus is. But we got to put the proper bait on the hook. So he said, we're going to learn these songs better than they play them. And then what we'll do is we'll sit outside these pubs and these bars and taverns. And we'll be on the street corner and we'll play their songs, but we'll change the words. So when they come out to listen to us, we're going to tell the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, because they were so much louder and so much better than the players in there, because half of them were drunk, they got paid with whiskey. Come on, somebody. Y'all know, you remember those lifestyles? And he got paid with whiskey. They couldn't play very good. But he said, because we were so good, they come on, what's all this clamoring about? Wow, these guys are pretty good. Hey. And then the next thing you know, it's talking about Jesus. And then the pastor would get up and say, let me tell you about the song we just sang. And he'd win them by the thousands. And that's how you got the street corner evangelist from Salvation Army to this day. That's where it started. He thought outside of the box. Come on, somebody. To do what? To reach the unreached. I love William Booth for that. Second thing is Jesus asked the disciples another question. He said, who do you say that I am? Who do they say that I am? Who do you say that I am? He's asking them, what do you really know about me? What is it you really know about me? Do you know what I came to do? Do you understand what I came to do? Isaiah 65, 8. I'm going to put this together in just a second. We're running out of time. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found where? Read it. 
In the where? In the cluster. The new one's found in where? The cluster. And no one said, no one said, and one says rather, do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it. Where? In the cluster. So will I do for my servants sake that I may not destroy them all. New wine is found in the cluster. Not a grape, but a cluster of grapes. When we come together like a cluster, we receive new wine or new ideas, new thoughts, fresh insights of who Jesus is. Who do you say that I am? I talked a little bit about this last week, and we were laughing a little bit. But the truth is, it's when we come together as the cluster that these new ideas of who he, come, who he is comes into our hearts and our minds. New thoughts, revelation. Oh, this is who you are. He's the vine, the Bible says. Jesus actually said this. He's the vine. We are the branches. That what? That produce the clusters. Right? So the clusters come from the branches, but comes from the vine. And the branches is the church. It's the many-membered body coming together as one that makes the new wine that we can be refreshing. I'm talking in terms of revelation, but we become refreshing to the world that they can sup or have drink and say, wow, wow, this is incredible. This is who he is. This is a picture of the church. Look what else it says here. It says, do not destroy it. What? The cluster. Why? For a blessing is in it. There's just something to be said that when we come together in unity, the Bible says how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together, how? In unity. It's like the oil that flows from the head of Aaron down his beard onto his cloak. Uh, the oil is symbolic of the power or the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You get the Spirit to flow when you come together in unity. Why? It pleases God. Why does it please God? Because it ain't easy getting together in a room full of people and all say, we're going one direction, we're in one mind, we're in one heart. It's a difficult thing. It's hard to walk in unity and love when somebody sat in your seat, the seat you sit in every Sunday, and they know you sit in it every Sunday, but chose to sit in that seat today, and you got to go praise the Lord anyway. It's kind of tough to do that. The devil's always trying to wreak havoc and strife and division and disunify. But if we come together as a cluster, there's a blessing in it. There's a flow from heaven through our lives. Why? Because it ain't easy. I am preaching today, praise God. Isaiah continues to say, for a blessing is in, in the cluster. Uh, and he says, I will do it for my servants' sake. God's looking out for his people. Now, Ephesians 4 says this in verse 11. And he himself gave some, Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for what? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. That word equip is the word katatidzo in the Greek, and it means to mend the nets. There's a lot of holes in our nets that need to be mended. And so part of my job is to mend the nets so that you can go out and do the work of the ministry for the edifying the body of Christ. To what? Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. He didn't say that you would come in. He said that we come in. See, God always thinks in terms of plurality. All of us coming together, he said, to faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man. We come together to form a perfect person to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children 
tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So God says we get rid of our childlike thinking. We get rid of the immaturity when we come together, okay? Um, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to effective working by which every part does its share. Stop right there. So God's vision of the church is everybody coming together to become one. Now, if you're the hand, then that means you're not the foot. And if you're the foot, that means you're not the hand. But how many knows we need both the hand and the foot in the body? I need both my feet to function properly. I need both my hands. I need both my eyes. I need my big mouth. Come on, somebody. I need my elbow connected to my, uh, to, to connect my bicep to my forearm, to make my hand work, my arm work. I need every part doing its share, joined and knit together. And the Bible says, the next part says, causes, that last, second to last line, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I can't grow without you. You can't grow without me. God made it that we're interdependent, not completely dependent. We're interdependent. We must come together to see the fullness and experience the fullness of who we are. If you want to become a champion, you've got to have a coach. If you want to be the best bodybuilder, you got to have a spotter. You can't lift that heavyweight by yourself. You will kill yourself. You need somebody saying, come on now. Come on, one more, one more. See, that's what we do for each other. We keep ourselves in line, in accountability, connected to each other, connected to the vine, the source of life, so we can fulfill the mission God has called us to. Without the church, we're nothing. But when we come together, we are powerful. I was a little hard in the first service. I was a little hard in the first service. I called them, I called them selfish. Now, I'm going to call you selfish because I think somebody might get offended in this room if I call them. That first service people, they're pretty hardcore people, but I call them selfish. I said, you're selfish. Stay at home. I'm tired. I, I, I'm just, I just need a nap. Some of y'all stay at home for the stupidest things. I, I got bad hair. I'm having a fat day. I mean, you know, we come up with all these excuses. I said, I told them, I won't tell you this, but I'll tell, tell you what I said to them. I said, you're selfish. It was quiet. I said, you're selfish. Why? I said, because all you think about is yourself. You don't understand. I need the kneecap. And you're the knee. I can't move. I can't move. I can't move unless we're connected together. My walk is infringed unless we're connected together. I need you here because I need to fulfill my assignment. And you need me here to fulfill your assignment. But when you stay home, you're saying, not you, them, you're selfish. I felt really bad. I got on them and afterwards I said, Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry. Oh, God, I was too hard on the people. You know, I beat myself up sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. Man, that was, that was tough. I'm not kidding. I had one. I, this is God is my witness. I had one person in mind because I hadn't seen him in a while in church. And when I looked up and I was preaching that, I said, you're selfish. You're selfish, you devil. 
And I looked up and they had eyes big. I like, oh, my God, this is the first time they've been back in a year. And now I'm telling them they've been selfish. They ain't never coming back. You know how you feel. And I'm sitting upstairs and I go, oh, my God, I'm so sorry that I said that, Lord. I kid you not. I get an email, bang, just like that. It's the person that I thought, I'm not lying to you. And they said, I needed to hear that. I'm back. So I ain't going to beat myself up on that too hard. Amen. Amen. So uh, we're connected. We need each other. This weekend, we need each other. We need you to come out this weekend. We need you to be a part of it. It won't take you but a couple hours, and it will change their lives. It will be a blessing to you because the blessing is in the cluster, not in the one person doing all the work, pulling all the weight. Remember. Amen. Remember, after Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I say to you, upon this rock, I'll build my church. I will build my church. He said, my church. Jesus called, he said, this is my church. Are you a part of his church? Now, I'm not talking about every now and again when you feel like coming. I'm talking about are you a part of his church? He can't build what you're not a part of. Say it again. He cannot build what you are not a part of. It's hard to build something if all the pieces are not there. Hard to build that car at GM if all the pieces don't show up on the assembly line to put it together. It's just not going to work. How many ever put a bike together for your child and there was 25 extra pieces left over? Come on, somebody. And he said, well, hallelujah, it looks pretty good. And let him ride it anyways. You didn't care. You prayed for the safety. Hallelujah. Be honest about it. I've done it with both my children. Hallelujah. And so my point is, is that all the pieces are necessary to be on that bike to function because they come home crying, the handlebars messed up, uh, the spokes are broke, you know, whatever, and the chain won't work right. All that stuff, why? Because I, I didn't have all, I might have all the parts, but I was unwilling to put those parts on to go back over and make it work properly. We need every body working together if we're going to see true revival in our city. The second part of the mission of faith builders is to build the church. I'm not going to labor on that. But we're called to build the church, uh, to build his house, his culture, his agenda, his kingdom in the world today. And then lastly, I want to share this with you, is that Matthew 18, 19 says, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. You know, God designed it. You're not supposed to be a loner. You're not, that's not what God called you to be as a loner. Two or more, he said, that's when power is released to you. Isaiah 59, 19 says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard against him. What is the standard? The standard is the church in the earth. We're called to raise up. When we see evil, like tonight, we're going to deal with that El Paso thing. We're going to deal with that date. Is it date? We're going to deal with that thing. And I'm saying it's not coming to Milwaukee in the name of Jesus. We're going to break the power of that thing. And let me just give you that. Don't get political. That's the enemy. Not saying there's not an answer on this side or answer. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. This is not for the church. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our job is to be spiritual and say, devil, you cannot kill our kids in the streets any longer. You don't have that authority. 
Because if every evil person got a gun, we, we must pray. Am I right about that? At the end of the day, that's what we were called to do as a church. No weapon formed against you will prosper, but every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you will condemn. And the third part of our mission, and I'm done at Faith Builders, is we serve our city. We're called to serve the city, not only by feeding, clothing, and helping, but by fighting for people's souls. And we've endeavored to do that week after week, year after year for all of these years. Amen and amen. Hallelujah.